0: Today in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 41, Celeste texted me and said, is there a song you'd like me to sing that ties into what you have to say? And I said, there sure is, and the one she just sang, how firm a foundation. One verse in that comes directly from our text here in Isaiah 41 where it says, fear not, I am with thee. O be not dismayed, for I am thy God, I will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand. And he'll do it, because we're upheld by his gracious, omnipotent hand. Isaiah 41. Keep silence before me, O islands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near, let them speak. Let us come near together to judgment. Who raised up the righteous man from the east, called him to his foot, gave the nations before him, and made him rule over kings. He gave them as the dust to his sword and as driven stubble to his bow. He pursued them and passed safely, even by the way that he had not gone with his feet Who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning. I the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. The isles saw it and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid, drew near, and came. They helped every one his neighbor, and every one said to his brother, Be of good courage. So the caterpillar encouraged the goldsmith. And he that smootheth with the hammer, him that smote the anvil, saying, It is ready for the soldering. And he fastened it with nails, that it should not be moved. But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth, and have called thee from the chief men thereof. And said unto thee, Thou art my servant, I have chosen thee, and cast thee not away. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that are incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing, and they that strive with thee shall perish. Thou shalt shalt seek them, and shalt not find them. Even them that contended with thee, they that war against thee shall be as nothing, and as a thing of naught. For I, the Lord, thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, thou worm Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The previous chapter in Isaiah, chapter 41, says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now today, if the Lord will enable me, I want to do just that. I want to try to comfort God's saints. And I want to do that by looking at the promises that our God makes in His Word, particularly in this tenth verse of Isaiah 41. Let's read it again. Fear thou not. Why not? For I am with thee. Be not dismayed. Why, Lord? For I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Now this term... Fear not is found 61 times in the King James Bible. And variations of that is fear thou not that we find in our text, or fear ye not are found dozens more times. Now as frail human beings, we have many fears. We don't like to admit it. We like to think we're strong in the faith, like other people to think we're strong in the faith. And the truth is we're not. And if we didn't have any fears, we wouldn't have any worries. Because worries come from us owning up to the fact that we have control over absolutely nothing. Anything that arises is beyond our control. We worry about getting sick. We worry about our children and our grandchildren. When we're younger, and some when we're older, we worry about finances. Making ends meet, providing for those that we love. We worry about the weather and a thousand other silly things. But once we're given faith in Christ and assurance of our God, we should be worry-free, but unfortunately, that is not the case most times, at least with me. We have a hard time that believing that God is able to do as He's promised because our faith is so pathetically weak. Therefore, doubts creep in when they really shouldn't. Our Lord told His disciples that if they had faith as a grain of mustard seed, they could move mountains. And considering a mustard seed is about the diameter of a pencil lead, our faith must be microscopic, because we have a hard time sometimes believing even the smallest of God's promises. But here in verse 10 of our text, here in Isaiah 41, we're given several reasons why... We should not fear. First, we're told by our God, For I am with thee. Now, the last words that we read that were spoken by our Lord before he left this earth, spoken to his disciples in Matthew 28 20, he said this, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And that is indeed a comfort, but it is especially comforting because of the words that the Lord spoke two verses earlier when He told His disciples, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So if the one who holds all power is with us, we should have nothing to fear. This God whom we serve makes numerous promises, an untold amount of promises throughout His Word. Let me read just a couple. In Psalm 2710, it says, When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Turn with me over to Ezekiel. Just a couple books over from our text here in Isaiah. But hold your place in Isaiah 41. Over to the book of Ezekiel. Chapter 16. This verse in Psalm says, When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. This is described in this 16th chapter of Isaiah. We'll begin reading in verse 4. As for thy nativity, in the day thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither was thou washed in water to settle thee. Thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. None I pity thee. To do any of these unto thee, to have compassion upon thee, but thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day that thou wast born. And when I passed by thee, and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. I have caused thee to multiply as the bud of the field, and thou hast increased and waxed and great, and thou art come to excellent ornaments. Thy breasts are fashioned, and thy hair is grown, whereas thou wast naked and bare. Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was a time of love, and I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swore unto thee and entered into a covenant with thee, Saith the Lord, and thou becamest mine. Then I washed thee with water; yea, I thoroughly washed away thy blood from thee, and I anointed thee with oil. I clothed thee also with broidered work, and shod thee with badger skins, and girded thee about with fine linen, and I covered thee with silk, and I decked thee also with ornaments, and put bracelets upon thy hands and a chain upon thy neck And I put a jewel in thy forehead, and earrings in thine ears, and a beautiful crown upon thy head. Thou was also thou was thus wast thou decked with gold and silver, and thy raiment was of fine linen and silk embroidered work. Thou didst eat fine flour and honey and oil, and thou wast exceeding beautiful. Thou didst prosper into a kingdom. And now renown went forth among the heathen for thy beauty, for it was perfect through my comeliness, which I had put upon thee, saith the Lord. The infant spoken of here was forsaken by his father and mother and cast out into a field left to die. This is a picture of all of God's elect before mercy comes to us. Completely helpless to do anything for ourselves but he comes to us in this time of love and says to this dead sinner live dead sinner live and he washes us in the blood of Christ and swaddles us in the robes of his righteousness never to be found naked again wanting for nothing and he nourishes us through his word and feeds our souls with his goodness and grace psalm 94:14 says for the lord will not cast off his people, neither will he forsake his inheritance. Christ said that of all that the Father had given him, he would lose nothing. There will not be one sheep that was given to Christ that will not be sought out and brought to the fold. In Hebrews 13.5 we read, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now though sometimes we feel as if the heavens are made of brass and our God seems not to hear our pleas for mercy and grace, that is never the case. It's simply our lack of faith and not his lack of faithfulness. It's like the words to that old hymn that Don quoted so many times. Behind the frowning providence... He hides a smiling face. He never, ever forsakes his people. Turn with me over the book of Nehemiah, the little book between Esther and Ezra. Book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 9. Now here we're given a description of the behavior of the nation of Israel and how God heard their cry and delivered them time after time out of the hands of their enemies, after which they went right back to sinning. And again, this is an accurate description of us in our time of rebellion before God gave us faith in Christ. We'd maybe have a close call with death or have some sort of danger, and we'd straighten up for a while, maybe go to church for a while, and then we'd fall right back into our old ways because we did not know the God of all grace. Let's begin reading in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 24. This is speaking of the nation of Israel, but it's applicable to us. So the children went in and possessed the land. And thou subduest before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land, that they might do with them as they would. And they took strong cities in a fat land, and possessed houses full of all goods, wells digged, vineyards and olive yards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they did eat, and were filled, and became fat, and delighted themselves in thy great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient, and rebelled against thee, and cast thy laws behind their backs, and slew thy prophets, which testified against them, to turn them to thee. And they wrought great provocations. Therefore thou didst deliver them into the hand of their enemies, who vexed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven. And according to thy manifold mercies, thou gavest them saviors, who saved them out of the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before thee. Therefore leftest thou them in the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried unto thee, Thou heardest them from heaven, and many times did Thou deliver them according to Thy mercies, and testified against them, that Thou mightst bring them again unto Thy law. Yet they dealt proudly, and hearkened not unto Thy commandments, but sinned against Thy judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. And withdrew the shoulder, and hardened their neck, and would not hear. And yet many years didst thou for them be, bear them and testify against them by the spirit and thy prophets, yet would they not give ear, and therefore gave us them into the hands of the people of their enemies. But thankfully we read this in verse 31. Remember, folks, this is us that we just described before we knew the Lord. Nevertheless. For thy great mercy's sake thou didst not utterly consume them nor forsake them for thou art a gracious and merciful God. Now these verses speak of the problems of the nation of Israel but it's certainly applicable to us before we came to faith in Christ and look at what it says Nevertheless for thy great mercy's sake thou didst not utterly consume them. Our God would have been right to destroy us in the time of our rebellion. But he is a God who delights in showing mercy to those that he gave to his son in eternity past. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance as we're told in Second Peter then this verse in Nehemiah says that God did not forsake them, for Thou art a gracious and merciful God. Now, from the moment that one of God's elect is consumed, or con, I should say, conceived in the womb, He sends His angels to watch over that elect one until the time that He brings him or her to faith in Christ, and afterwards as well, were held in the palm of His hand, safe from all harm. In Deuteronomy forty-one or four thirty-one, I especially like this verse. It says, For the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he swore unto them, but were kept safe until the time of God's mercy, because of what his son did, because of that better covenant that was brought in. Turn with me over to Hebrews, please. We're safe in Christ because of that better covenant. Hebrews chapter 8. I know I'm having you turn to a lot of scriptures, but as Don used to say, I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 8. We'll begin reading in verse 6, speaking of that better covenant. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much more also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people." And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and to their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith the new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. This new covenant is so much better because the first covenant that God made with Israel depended upon them keeping his laws and his statutes. But this second covenant depends upon the God-man keeping those statutes for us and his righteousness given to us, his perfect righteousness. Now then in this verse in Isaiah, back to our text in Isaiah 10, We read that our God declares, be not dismayed. First he tells us, fear not, and be not dismayed. This word dismayed is another word for discouraged, unnerved, demoralized, or disheartened, void of any hope. And this was certainly our condition before our God came to us in saving faith. Paul reminded the Ephesians of this in chapter 2 when he said, Wherefore remember, It's always good for us to remember. Wherefore, remember that ye in time past, being Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made with hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, that covenant that we just read of, having... No hope. Sad, sad condition. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are now made nigh by the blood of Christ. Having no hope, completely discouraged, disheartened and demoralized of ever being found in Christ. Sure of our impending doom. When God first awakened us to our undone lost condition, we came to understand that in and of ourselves, He taught us that we have no hope of ever being redeemed. We were dismayed. But as the Spirit began to show us the merits and the ability of Christ Jesus to make us righteous and meet the demands of God's law, we began to have hope. And finally, our God gave us faith, which we... We're enabled to believe on His Son. And we're taught that even though we fall miles short of ever providing any righteousness acceptable to God, yet in the God-man we find all the goodness, grace, and righteousness that we will ever need to stand pure and holy before His throne of judgment. And then next in this verse 10 of Isaiah 41, we read these words, I will strengthen thee, Now, these words tell us that if our God needs to strengthen us, then obviously we're weak in and of ourselves. And when it comes to providing anything required by the strict law of God, we're as weak as a newborn lamb. But we find many places in God's Word where He promises to strengthen us. Psalm 31, it says, Be of good courage, and He will strengthen your heart. That place from which all belief In action spring the heart. For He will strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. When we believe in our heart that our God is able to do what He promises, we're strengthened and taught to simply rest in faith. Let me read from Ephesians chapter 3. You can turn over there if you'd like and follow along. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. This is talking about our God striking in us. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Lord of our or unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 3:14, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is a breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. The grace of our God strengthens our hearts by doing exceedingly abundant above all that we think or ask. Now think about that for a minute. Let it sink in. He doesn't just perform what we ask for. Bill mentioned in his prayer a few minutes ago that we don't know how to pray and he hit that nail on the head but our God he doesn't promise to do above what we think and ask and he doesn't promise to do exceeding above what we think and ask no because he is a God who possesses unlimited amounts of goodness that he gives to his saints Paul runs out of ways To express what he's trying to get across to us. But he does the best he can with the limits of human language. And he tells us that our God does exceeding, abundantly, above anything that the human mind can imagine. Simply because his thoughts are not our thoughts. And his ways are not our ways. Exceeding, meaning more than sufficient. Measureless. Extraordinary. Boundless. Abundantly, meaning in huge quantities, plentiful, bounteous. And such a one is our God that He provides a way for us to ask for those things that we need and desire, even when we can't put it into words, because Romans 8.26 tells us this, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. At those times when our heart is so weighed down and overloaded with grief and sometimes guilt, our God provides a way for us to ask for what we need without speaking a word. Our Lord told His disciples in Matthew 6, 8, He said, For your Father knoweth what things ye need; you have need of, before you ask him, does that mean we shouldn't pray that the Lord just give us what we know? Certainly not. But what we need to understand is before we even ask, and many times we ask for the wrong things, we we don't know what we should ask for. So we just stumble through like a bunch of dumb sheep and ask for something and hope the Lord will uh, give us what's good for us, what we need and not what we want. But the Lord says, before we even ask Him, I mean, how great is that? It's like a loving mother who knows what her newborn baby needs before it ever has the ability to form words and ask for what it needs. She knows how to take care of that child. And our Lord, infinitely above that, knows how to take care of us. He made arrangements before this world was ever spoken into being to provide all that we need and above all that we ask. Now next in our verse 10 of Isaiah 41 here, our God promises, I will help thee. Now help can mean many things. It can mean assistance, relief, rescue, support, aid, or lifting up all of which describe what our God does for us every moment of every day. Twice in the Psalms, David wrote these same exact words in two places. He says, Give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. Now one of the greatest gifts that God can give a man or woman, and boy or girl in this life, is faithful friends. Where would we be without our friends? But David knew That there was only so much that our friends could do for us. They might desire to help us, but they're limited by means and ability. But we do for each other what we can. And when we run out of things to do, we pray. Because we know that we can ask the one who has all power to provide the needs of our friends. And he will do it. Psalm 38 says, Forsake me not, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord of my salvation. Not O Lord of my salvation, but O Lord my salvation. David knew that salvation was not a thing. It is a person. But sadly... When our Lord, in his time of need, in his time that he was found with our sins laid upon him, he was completely forsaken of the Father, unlike us. Psalm 89:20 says, "Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness." This is speaking of our Lord. And I look for some to take pity but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. Psalm 22, that prophetic psalm that speaks of our Lord's crucifixion, states in verse 11, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. In Isaiah 63.3, it describes the work of the Savior when it says, I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none to help me. Then two verses later our Savior speaks and says, And I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore my own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury it upheld me. So because our Savior tread that winepress alone, we read in verse 10 of our text, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Because of our sin being laid on our Lord, He was deserted of the Father, with none to uphold, with none to help. But as a direct result of that finished work, our God can now make this promise that He will indeed uphold His people. And He is able to uphold us because of His unimaginable might and strength. The Scriptures speak many times of the Lord's right hand and the power it holds. Let me read just three. Exodus 15, 6. Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. Psalm 118, 16. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doth valiantly. In Psalm 89:13, thou hast a mighty arm, strong as thy hand, and high is thy right hand. Now our God also uses that mighty right hand to embrace us and comfort us. As we read in the Song of Solomon, it says, his left hand should be under my head, and his right hand should embrace me. We not only find help and protection by the right hand of God, but we also find comfort in times of need. And of course, at the right hand of our God is where we find our mighty Savior seated, reigning in sovereign majesty. And then the last words of this verse, verse 10 of Isaiah 41, it tells us how we're upheld. It says, With the right hand of my righteousness. Now, could it be stated any clearer? It's the very righteousness of the God-man Savior that upholds us and makes us accepted in the beloved. The scriptures make it abundantly clear and plain that the only righteousness that our God will accept is a righteousness that he provides in the person of Christ, that which is given us in Christ. Paul wrote of this very thing to Timothy in chapter 3 starting in verse 5 he said not by works of righteousness which we have done or could that be any plainer not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So there you have it, dear saint, all of the assurance, all of the comfort, all of the encouragement, all of the promises that will ever be needed in this life found in this one verse in Isaiah 41.10. There is hope to be had And there is comfort to be had in the promises of our God. Now, lastly, a word to the lost that may be sitting here or may hear this in the future. There are many reasons that you in your present state of unbelief should fear. You should be horrified by what awaits you. Our Lord gave a solemn warning in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 4. He taught His disciples about who and what men and women should fear. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you should fear. Fear him which after he hath killed have power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. As that infant that I spoke of earlier cast off into the field and left to die, we're helpless, and you're helpless, lost sinner to do anything to improve your condition. But there's one thing that you can do if you're able. You can cry with blind Bartimaeus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. And you won't even be able to do that unless God provides you the grace to do so. Sure, you might be concerned about your soul and going to hell, but you'll never see yourself deserving of that until the Lord of all mercy opens your eyes and gives you grace to do so. You'll continue to cling with what you perceive to be your own goodness and your own righteousness, until God shows you otherwise. But perhaps our God has begun a good work in you and awakened your heart to your lost condition. And if so, you'll be able to cry with that publican, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Now May He enable you to do that today. Bill, and lead us in a song, please.